Hey, I've enjoyed these last two weeks. Trace is going to come and do the second half of the tests of ministry, but I've enjoyed these two weeks. Number one is I do enjoy listening uh, to my wife, and uh, number two is I enjoy not having to talk. So without further ado, there you go. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> whenever we, I, we hear that song, we sing that song, Worshiping You, uh, it really makes me think of... Um, of talk about passing a test. Um, that was a song that was sung at uh, Pastor Amy Stockstill's funeral. Uh, Pastor Joel, you know, we're under Pastor Larry uh, Stockstill down in Baton Rouge, and uh, his son Joel is one of the staff pastors there. And uh, after three years of marriage, his wife Amy, at 27, uh, died to, uh, to cancer. And uh, we were not able to go to the funeral, but we watched it. It was streaming live. And we watched it, and they sang that song. Here I am worshiping you. And I thought, tonight's test seemed like nothing compared to that one. You know what? And if they can pass that test, there isn't anything we're going to talk about tonight that's any big deal. So let's just, you know, let's just all keep that in mind because sometimes as we're going through this little piddly stuff and we make such a big deal out of it, then in, in the grand scheme of life and what other people walk through, it's nothing. So, uh, all right. But remember last week we talked about the tests and how that the tests are not to harm you. They're not to kill you. <laughs> they're not to hurt you. They are to grow you up and to prepare you to be a leader. All right. So tonight, just put on your, as a teacher would say, put on your thinking cap, uh, open up your ears. Lord, we just ask right now that you would open our ears to what your spirit's saying to us. Help us to see things in ourselves as you showed me today, things that I had never seen before. After all these years of teaching, after all these years of being discipled, even new things that you are revealing to me. And Lord, for a moment, I say, ouch, but ultimately, Lord, I want to be molded and shaped into a vessel that you can use. And so, Lord, tonight, help us to do that. In Jesus' name. Okay. All right. Let's just get started. we got a lot of ground to cover tonight. Test that everyone faces in ministry part two. Uh, test number eight. We'll start with that. Is the patience test. Now, I'm not going to read Genesis 5 through 7, but that's the story of Noah. Okay. How many of you know that Noah got some orders from God and he started building a boat? And how long did he build a boat? 120 years. Have any of us had to do anything for 120 years yet? <laughs> no. Um, and um, it makes me think of a message that our son Clayton preached when he came back from Australia, I think the first time. And he was up here, and I can see him pacing back and forth. Get ready. If you haven't ever seen him preach, he moves the entire time he's preaching, okay? So, um, and, he was, and he's preaching that message called, What Does Favor Look Like? And he was doing the story of Noah. Remember, he's talking about how people are going, Noah, and his friends were going like, coming by and going, yo, Noah, man, what you doing? You know, and they're like, man, we got, we got to go down here and bowl tonight. You know, and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm building a boat, a boat, what's a boat? You know, cause they didn't even know what rain was, what rain, what's rain? And, and imagine, imagine the ridicule that Noah took for 120 years over building a boat and they didn't even know what rain was. And none of us have ever had to pay, you know, pass any tests like that. But here we go, talking about patience. The patience test happens when a leader's expectations in God are not fulfilled on schedule. Patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, this word in Latin means to suffer. There you go. <laughs> patience. God challenges a leader to wait patiently or endure some tribulation without complaint. To grow in patience, a leader must, be, must bear pain or trouble without losing self-control or becoming a disturbance. To others. You know what? I don't always do that. I went through a little, just a little tiny thing. I don't even remember what it was over this week, but I was kind of a disturbance for about 15 minutes. And my husband was so sweet to me, but I was just kind of being like a big baby, you know? And I went in there and I said, I'm sorry. I'm, I was just like acting like an insecure, stupid woman. You know, we cause disturbances sometimes because we just, we just aren't patient. Um, in portraying this quality, a leader calmly tolerates delay while refusing to be provoked by it. Now, last week we talked about the time test. Now, this patience test seems like it's a lot like the time test, but the time test is just the fact that you're waiting. 
This is even more. This is that you're waiting and that you're not griping about it. Now, a lot of us pass the time test because do we have any other choice? I mean, if God ain't doing it, he ain't doing it. You can just sit there and gripe all you want. But this is saying, I want to get you to the point, leaders, Tracy, Kevin, where when you're waiting, you keep your mouth shut. And you don't grumble, and you don't complain, and you don't even need a prayer request about it. You just wait because you trust me. Now, I'm there on some things, but there's other areas in my life that I'm not there. So those are areas that obviously the Lord's going to be working on. All right, the purpose of this test is that a leader must be yielded, has, must yield his rights to Jesus Christ uh, so he's able to wait for him to return his expectations to him in his own timing as an undeserved blessing. Now listen, this is, what I, I, this is the way I see it. It's like a blank contract. We've talked about this before. That's what really dying to yourself and, and submitting your life to Christ is that he's got a blank contract and you just sign it at the bottom and you let him fill in the details later. That's what this, this test is all about. It says, in not attempting to play God in his own life or in the lives of others, a humble leader will yield to the Lord even some very good and appropriate goals. You know, Pastor and I talk to a lot of other pastors and wives that are involved in the vision the principle of 12. Well, you know what? This is one mistake we didn't make. Thank the Lord. <laughs> okay, we made plenty of mistakes, but this isn't one of them. Um, but some of our pastor friends, they went home from Bethany World Prayer Center, and they immediately chose 12 leaders in their church. Just, I need 12. Bless God, I'm going to choose 12 people. Here we go. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Because they wanted it was a good thing. They wanted to be obedient. They wanted to get the vision going. They, they wanted to get School of Leaders started. They, they wanted to get the thing on the road. But how many of us know that sometimes we can do a good thing? And if it's not a God thing, and you didn't pray about it, you didn't listen to the Holy Spirit say, mm, 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 mm. Because I'm just telling you, one of our friends had 12 leaders, and six of them walked out the church and split it with for him. Okay? Because he thought he was doing the right thing, but he kind of got ahead of God, you know? And I'm just telling you, as leaders, we can't get all in a hurry. And that's hard for those of us who have the personality that we like to check off the list. And if they tell us to choose 12 leaders, bless God, we're going to be obedient and choose 12 leaders. But you have to wait on God. All right. All right. Let's go ahead. Frustration test. Um, I'm going to read one of the scriptures, 2 Corinthians 4. Eight, I'm not going to read all through 8 through 17, but it says, um, verse 8 says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Pure, persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Then skip over to 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding, an eternal weight of glory. Now, the first thing we have to do as a leader is we got to believe that. we got to believe that the rough time we're going through that we don't understand is working out what needs to be worked out of us, and it's working for our best. So the definition of this test is a leader undergoes the frustration test when he feels that his life or ministry goals cannot be achieved. People or circumstances may prevent him from gratifying his conscious or unconscious desires and goals. A ministry especially experiences this feeling when he finds no logical or rational reason why his efforts are being baffled, foiled, or confused. Do you ever feel like that? You look and you're like, Lord, I don't see sin in my life. I don't see any reason why this isn't happening. Well, if you remember from last week, we talked about... Don't blame shift. First of all, do not start that because you'll go around that mountain a couple of times if you start that. No man, woman, child, pastor, <laughs> or devil can keep you out of the will of God as long as you don't get offended. Okay? we got to hold on to that. Now, the purpose of this frustration test is for the leader to re-examine his spiritual priorities. How many of us have ever had that happen? We just get frustrated. Things aren't happening. And finally, after about three days of, 
acting like a, bi- a baby, about a five-year-old, and we're walking around griping and crying and crying and saying, God's forsaken me. And we do all that. We finally hear the voice of God telling us, you know, some things are out of order in your life. It says here, what about our prayer and our devotional life? You know, you can get so busy doing ministry that you forget the Lord. Now, I'm telling you, I know some of my Connect leaders can, can relate to that because I'm telling you, you can, you can fill up a whole week in preparation and in calling your ladies. And if any lady has a crisis and you've got to help them through it, boy, like that, seven days are gone. And you've been doing church stuff and you've been doing spiritual stuff, but you haven't been spending time with the Lord. So your priority may be out of line there. How about uh, if it's a man, you haven't been giving your wife and family time. I, I have to remind my connect leaders of all this, of this all the time. You know what? Your husband and your children have got to come first. I don't care what is going on in your cell that week. I don't care what lady is having a crisis. You cannot put those women ahead of your husband because that is not God's perfect will for you. So all those things have to be kept in alignment. Skip on down. Frustration also causes the leader to put more fervor into his primary spiritual battle against opposition to the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. We got to get back to making the main thing, the main thing. And it's so easy to get that out of whack. All right, let's skip ahead. Discouragement test. Now this is in first Kings 19. Uh, and I'm not going to read all of it, but this is the story of Elijah. He says here in the first verse, but he himself went a day's journey. Okay, this is, let's go back. This is after he had the great victory on Mount Carmel, you know, and he brought down fire from heaven and all those prophets of Baal were killed and everything. And he goes out, whoo, and here he is the next day. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now the Lord take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And there he went into the cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, they've torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. He was just having him a little pity party. He was discouraged. And the definition of this test is a leader is going through the discouragement test when he allows circumstances or people to dishearten him and deprive him of courage in the Lord. A discouraged leader is deterred from the undertaking which he believed was God's will. During such times, a ministry may lose his confidence or hope in God, his provision, his promise, or his calling. I read a very challenging and convicting quote this week by Jerry Falwell. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but he said this, you can define the greatness of a man by what it takes to discourage him. It's pretty convicting, isn't it? We all say we want to be great men and women of God, and we want God to entrust us with bigger things and ministry and you know, Lord, let me, let me be a part of changing this city for you. But what does it take to get us all down in the mully grubs? Does it just take one person getting mad at you? Or, you know, I told Pastor and I always laugh and say, well, you know, we may get an ugly email, but hey, we don't have a website against us yet. <laughs> you know you've arrived in ministry when you've got a whole website against you. You know, Pastor Larry has a website against him. Jensen Franklin has a website against him. So one of these days, we're going to be big time have us a website. Okay. So, I, Lord, I was just kidding. I don't really want that. Okay. <laughs> but um, what is the purpose of this test? Now, listen. Oh, I want to say this. God is a jealous God. What, do you, um, what does it take to get us to pray? Okay, that's why I wrote in my notes. You know, I remember, I can't remember who, who, maybe it was Pastor Miles that used to always say this to us. But, you know, God's a jealous God. And if you'll only pray when you're going through a rough time, guess what? You're going to go through a lot of rough times. Because God wants a relationship with you. And if the only time you talk to him is when you don't know how in the world you're going to make it without him, then you'll get to live right there. I wrote it in my Bible at the very front. Pastor Miles said this a long time ago. He said, if you pray when you don't have to pray, when you have to pray, you don't have to pray long. Because you have a relationship with him. And when you call out to him in that moment of need, boom, 
You know what his voice sounds like. All right. Discouragement causes the leader to go to God in prayer, especially through the Psalms. Don't you love the Psalms? <laughs> I remember a couple times in the last 10 years, Pastor and I, I think it's Psalm 37. <laughs> Is it 35? The one that's like, they're doing terrible stuff to us. <laughs> Do this to them. Do it. No. And it's because, and I love that about Beth Moore in her book, Praying God's Word. She says, sometimes you've got to pray about them before you can pray for them. And she says that really David does that in the Psalms. If you'll look and you'll really study the Psalms, David is frustrated a lot of times and he prays about them. Like, Lord, sick them. Get them. Do stuff to them. Now he eventually, <laughs> by the end of the Psalm, he'll get to blessing him. And his heart will turn. But you know, God's okay with us being real. You know, when we think we have to just fake it, he knows our heart. So sometimes it's better to just go ahead and get it out. And then when we hear it come out of our mouth, we go, oh, that's ugly. I really need to not do that. And then we change. Okay. All right. Uh, Joyce Meyer always says that you can either be pitiful or you can be powerful, but you can't be both. And this number one, the first point here, discouraging times of stress and trial are not wrong, but the attitude one takes towards such circumstances can be. If he persists in self-pity or feelings of discouragement, everybody has a bad day. Okay, so don't walk out of here in spirit of condemnation if you have a bad day. But if your bad days turn into bad weeks and then turn into bad months, and you just, you just, you know, you're just discouraged and down all the time. Now, have Pastor and I ever been there? Oh yeah, we've been there. It was a test. It was a test to see. Are you going to trust me? And sometimes when you go through that and you realize you're, this is moving into days and weeks, man, you better, you better at that point go, and, and hopefully you're going to have somebody in this church who's going to love you enough to tell you the whole truth. And that is, girl, that's not, that's not normal. And God's trying to get through to you on something. Now, I don't know what it is. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But if I were you, I'd seek him and see what it is that you're having a problem trusting him in. Because we do get discouraged, but we can't stay there. Um, no leader will sustain his ministry without learning how to derive total joy and peace directly from God himself. Point two, the discouragement test also reveals the hidden bad attitudes in a leader. Whew, isn't that the truth? Many leaders can rejoice in the Lord when everything's going the way they think it should go. Woo! But how about when, uh, how many allow themselves to complain and murmur? This is kind of going back to that patience test. We complain and murmur when things go unexpectedly the other way. Well, if they went expectedly the other way, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise us. It's when they go unexpectedly the other way. During discouragement, the Lord must allow the leader to uncover poor attitudes in himself, for which he must ask God's forgiveness. Now listen, he says here, oh, I think this is pastor's notes. Pastor says here, um, it, it would be far better for the Lord to never tell you and show you than for him to show you and then you not repent. So now listen, just because, okay, so let's say I'm just really going through a, a really rough time of discouragement. And the Lord says, Tracy, you know what? It's because you don't trust me. It's because you don't think that I know better than you know. And he begins to reveal these things to me. It's one thing to go, oh yeah, you're right. Okay, that's what it is. Now how many of us do that? But then we don't repent. You see, to acknowledge that God is right and oh yeah, that's what it is. We got to go that next step and say, Lord, you are absolutely right. And I repent because that is sin. See, acknowledging and repenting are not the same thing. And we've got to repent. And that, once again, causes us to have to humble ourselves and to say, I was wrong. Which, as I say, for some personalities and temperaments, that's the hardest thing that could ever come out of your mouth is I was wrong. But that's what's necessary for God to take you on to the next level. All right, um, the warfare test, 2 Timothy 1.18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Then 4.7 says, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. 6.12 says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, to which you were also called and had confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The definition of this test is when a leader encounters violent spiritual opposition to his progress in the spirit 
or in his extending of God's kingdom. Though it happens in the realm of the spirit, it can find natural expressions, listen, in conflicts with people, lack of response to one's ministry or struggles of various sorts, including the feeling of unbearable temptation to sin. Now, I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But, you know, some people think, I don't think, I don't think any of y'all think this because I think you've been taught better. But maybe there's people out there who think that the big guys that you see on TBN don't ever face temptation and that you're the only one that faces temptation. Well, that obviously isn't true or they wouldn't be falling and leaving their wives. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let me tell you, pastor and I are almost like if they're on TV and we don't know if we trust them. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but you know, sometimes it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to watch those guys on TV because it seems like sometimes they're the ones that are messing up the most because it's gone to their head. Like last week, we talked about how they begin to believe their own press. So we got to be careful just because something's in print and something's on TV doesn't mean it's God. Okay. So please be careful to that. Uh, that's why we are in a church where our pastor teaches us. And we don't just swallow anything that comes along. If it does not line up with the word of God, then we don't, we don't take it. Okay. Now the purpose of this test, spiritual warfare forces the leader to grow stronger in the Lord. It's kind of like boot camp for your destiny. Have you ever gone to boot camp? When I, a pastor and I went and walked the, the bridge the other day, and as we were heading over there really early in the morning, had all those boot camp guys. You can, you know, they're the boot camp guys because they're all dressed in the same shirt, you know, and they're doing these terrible things as they're going across the bridge. They're not just walking the bridge, but they're like pumping iron as they're walking the bridge. They're doing jumping jacks as they're walking the bridge. You know, they're, they're stopping and doing squats and, you know, all this, all this terrible stuff that nobody else would do. And they're all have the same shirt on. Um, so, but that's kind of way it is spiritually. We're in, we're in warfare and you got to be ready. And so you have got to have exercised your spiritual senses. Um, skip on down. It says some leaders are not mature because they do not train or exercise their spiritual senses enough. In Second Timothy 2, uh, verse 4, let me read it. It says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. If you are in spiritual warfare and if you are a leader and you are preparing for war, that's a full-time job. It demands all your attention. I always love what Rhonda Alford said when she came to Legacy and somebody asked her, well, what's the difference between Legacy and such and such church? And she said, well, the other church is teaching you how to be a Christian, but Pastor Bear teaches you how to be a warrior. Because you know what? We are in war. But if we, if we get lackadaisical and we kind of are lulled to sleep, by the world, then we will not be ready. I'm just telling you, I, I have been out of my boot camp training situation for only four weeks. And I'm just telling you, I can tell a difference in my body already. It's kind of wanting to go back to its old ways. Because without somebody there saying, get me 50 more push-ups, you know? I mean, you think, oh, I'll push myself. But you don't push yourself the way you do when you're in war, when you're being trained. Um, so we can't be nonchalant. And this is where I want to go back to what he says up here about uh, unbearable temptation. We cannot be nonchalant about entering into the enemy's territory. Now, I don't want to be legalistic on this or anything. I'm not, I'm not the Holy Spirit for you. But listen, you have got to be on guard about what you open your spirit to. And we talk about this a lot about at Encounters. But what television shows are you watching? What movies are you going to? What stuff are you looking at on Facebook? Who are you talking to on Facebook? Um, you know, I've had to hide some people recently on Facebook. People that I knew years ago when we lived in Spartanburg. And you think, oh, they want to be your friend. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, we'll be friends with them. And then, you know, because everything that they're doing comes up, it can flash up on your Facebook. And I'm like, whoa, you know, and I'm like, hide, 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 hide. Because they just obviously, I, I told him, I said, I even, sometimes, even being married to him, I forget how well he teaches us compared to what everybody else is getting. And you see people, they love the Lord, and they, they say they love the Lord. And then the stuff they put on Facebook, you're like, that does not compute to me as a follower of Christ. You know, connect the dots, that's right. Um, and so, you know, I had to hide them. And so we got to be careful. Listen also, 
Accountability is a must for a leader. If you want to be a leader, you've got to be accountable to somebody. All right? And I'm just, I'm not going to go into great detail, but I'm just going to say that my husband and I have this deal. And some of you would say, I don't know that I would want to have that deal with my husband. Well, you know what? You do what you want to do, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But he is my best friend. And I trust him. And there have been times when I have been tempted. Okay, you know, I'm a, I'm a normal woman. I've got hormones, okay? Sometimes there's a good-looking man that comes by. And there's good-looking look, men, men who want to say something to me. And I like the way that felt. And at first I thought, okay, I just, I bind that. I take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ, you know? Okay, well, after about the fourth time, I was having a little hard time taking it captive. And then I began to think, I don't know if I want to take that captive. Okay, now don't act like y'all I have never been there. And I honestly, and I told my girls this, I have, I had thought that and thought that and thought that on my own. And I had quoted every scripture. I had looked up every verse on that fornicators and adulterers will go straight to hell, you know, trying to like convict myself, you know, and I hadn't done anything y'all. I had not sinned, but that temptation, man, that thing just kept flying across my head. Whoo. I mean, it was and a couple of times I wanted to like stop and think about it for a second. Well, you know, when you stop and think about it for a second, you're in trouble. Okay. You're starting to build the nest that pastor talked about Sunday. Okay. You're kind of helping maybe give them a couple twigs. And the, and the scripture came to me, confess your sin one to another that you might be healed. Well, I said to myself, who in the world am I going to confess this to? And the Lord said, well, who does everybody else confess it to? Their pastor. Do you know who my pastor is? And I'm just telling you, he and I have that kind of a deal. I went to him and I said, I just want you, I'm blessed, you know, I'm crying. I've not done anything. I don't want you to think I've done anything. He's like, he just, he's like, I know you haven't done anything. I know your heart is not to do that. But I'm so glad that we have this connection that we can be honest. And this is the thing, girls, he's got to, he, my, my husband to me, your husband to you has got to know that he can be that honest with you and that you're not going to say, oh my God, you're a sinner. Get out of the bedroom. Um, you know, you got to have accountability. And I'm so thankful that we have that because you know what? It would take a lot. And I'm, I know the enemy is hearing me right now, but it would take a lot for deception to enter in there because, I mean, he tells me, so-and-so says something to me today, and I don't like the way that sounded. And I was like, okay, there you go. I'll just kind of keep a little eye on her. <laughs> you know, and I'll say that to him. So I'm just telling you, accountability is there. And if you think, oh, because you're, because you're a leader, because you're spiritual, because you have a Bible study, or, or you blog, and, and other ladies are listening to what your spiritual devotion is for today, that you are not game for the enemy, you're an idiot. Okay. And the enemy has got you in his bullseye right now. Okay. Oh, pa pastor said in, in Greek, that is idiotes. Okay. So I just greeted you there for a second. Okay. All right. The self-will test. I got to hurry. Okay. I'm not going to read this scripture. When a leader realizes God is asking him to do something that counters his own plans or desires, the self-will test has begun. God has to break the self-will and personal ambition of every person, not just some people, every person he uses, so that he can trust him or her to do whatever he requires in his kingdom. All right. If, you, if any of you have been in the military, that's exactly what boot camp does, doesn't it? It breaks your will. So that when you get to war and the sergeant says, take the hill, and you're like, you're crazy. The bad guys are over there. You do it anyway. You do not question them. You do what your commanding officer says. Well, that's what the Lord has to do. He has to break that self-will in us. Even good and appropriate things he asks us to sacrifice at times. God will sometimes even request a man to do something for him and give no logical reason for it. Now, imagine that. Imagine God not explaining himself to you. You know, what's really sad is in, in our nation, that is almost unheard of. Kids in school, third and fourth graders, don't even do what they're told until it's explained to them. Isn't that ridiculous? We're just raising up a generation. I ain't going to do what you say. I mean, that whole bumper sticker question authority. 
See, that's just, that's wrong. That's telling kids, you don't do what you, unless it explains it to you, you don't do it. Well, see, that's the problem that we, we have. Spiritual authority, um, I wrote here, big problem in America. If you explain and I agree, then I'll do it. It's more than a spiritual authority. It's not. It, it, we're not even just talking that if pastor and I ask you to do something that you argue. This is talking about when God asks you to do something or when God says no to your plan. We're not even talking about delegated authority. We're talking about direct authority from God. God will even ask his leaders to sacrifice to him what they know to be God's will. In the case of Abraham, God asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac, God's promised seed. We have these friends, I'm going to tell the story real quick. We have these friends up in Spartanburg. Their names are Don and Iris Valley. And they're probably in their late 60s now, probably. But I mean, probably 15 or more years ago, they felt a call of God to be missionaries in China. So they put their house on the market. And they began to prepare, and they went to, to school kind of to prepare to be missionaries and all this stuff. And they were both, you know, retired, and they could just leave everything behind and just really had a heart to go to the mission field. Well, y'all, they're still sitting in Spartanburg today because God has never opened that door. Now, is it sinful to want to be a missionary to China? No. But for some reason, God's just saying, not my, not your will, but mine. And right now, and I don't know how long this will last, but right now in the church that they are a part of, they had, unfortunately, they had a big church split and they are the only two left in that church who know how to do deliverance. And they are setting people free on a daily basis. So what they thought they were going to China to do, they have waited 15 years and now they are setting people free in Spartanburg. So you see, our ways are not always his ways. In all of this, a man's desires, thoughts, feelings, and plans are put into subjection to God's will. God does not necessarily prefer painful sacrifices from his leaders, but when he speaks something contrary to a man's desire, that man must quickly respond to the word. The purpose of the self-will test subjects man's will to God's word, both written and the quickened word. What's the quickened word? That's when you feel like I know that I know that I know what the Holy Spirit said to me. Okay. In doing this, God helps us fulfill the scriptural admonition. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord and not in man. Can you say, how does that connect? If everything we thought was a good idea, we got to do and it turned out well, wouldn't we start believing our own press? When we start thinking, mm, I am pretty smart, I'm telling you. I, I, when I hear from God, mm, it just happens like that. And you think, oh, I would never be that way. You probably would. You probably would. We all probably would. Uh, man's sinful nature pits his na natural will against the spiritual will of God. God must therefore crucify a leader's desires on occasion so that he can accomplish his desire in his own way. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know of the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Not I know the plans you have for you. And I'll just bless him. But I know the plans I have for you. And we have to fall into his, his plan. All right, let's, um, well, this the end of that Isaiah passage says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Have any, have any of us ever not gotten what we wanted? And then a couple years later, think, oh, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord I did not get what I wanted. Yep, I told you that last week. Pastor and I were there a couple weeks ago going, whoo-wee, thank you, Lord. I was so mad at you when I, you didn't give me that. And now I just need to send you a big thank you note. So, all right, um, let's go on the vision test, Nehemiah 4, 6 through 10. This is the story of Nehemiah rebuilding the, rebuilding the walls. So we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So they were all working together. That's good. Now it happened that Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being uh, restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. 
Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. All right, here we go. The vision test occurs when contrary people, as my mama would say, confounded people. <laughs> is that only a Spartanburg word? I don't know. And, uh, and, and, and circumstances besiege a leader's spiritual insight into the purposes of God. Natural and physical vision is not enough for a leader of God's people. He must also have spiritual eyes of faith to see God's will and desire for his people. The spiritual vision test asks two main questions. Can you see the spiritual needs and answers of the people of God? And can you resist opposition and adversity and tenaciously hold the vision that God has given you as a leader? Now, I'm just going to say this. He doesn't even know I'm going to say this. But I know, I mean, I live with this man and I know he has his moments of discouragement, just like all leaders do. But for those of you who have been at Legacy from its inception, we're coming up on eight years this September. Isn't our vision the same? That we are going to be a spirit-empowered, a credible spirit-empowered church that's going to make a difference in this city. Now, yes, we refined it a little bit when we got into the vision that we were going to win souls and make disciples. But from the day this church started, it was always that we are going to put the Holy Spirit in the front room. He's not going to be hidden in the back. We're going to pursue God with all we've got. And no matter who has come and who has gone and what ugly things they have said when they did leave, he never changed his vision. He did not crumble to the opinions of man. Okay? And that's as leaders... We have got to be that. And I say this to my girls all the time. You know what? There are going to be people who think you're the greatest thing since cheap, chip beef. And then there's going to be other people who tell you to your face, you can't preach or teach worth nothing. Whenever I come to your cell, I don't get nothing out of it. They're going to say that to your face. Okay? And at that point, believe me, there'll be moments when you'll think, they're probably right. And I'm just stupid. But... Or do you say, Lord, I don't know. I will examine my heart, and if I need to do better, I will. But, Lord, I know what you've called me to do, and I want to help these women to grow and to walk in all the things that God has for them. And I know that for the men of this church, too. You're going to have adversity. You're going to have people come against you. Don't think you won't. Okay. The purpose of the vision test shows a leader how shallow whew, his spiritual insight really is. Every leader feels he has a measure of insight into God and his people. Otherwise, he would not serve the Lord in a mystery capacity. Um, all leaders are tempted to think that their present education, their insight, their knowledge, their wisdom is totally sufficient to meet the challenges of church life. After all, many ex exclaim, wasn't I fully trained in seminary or Bible college for this ministry? Well, you'll, most of you go, well, no, that, that, I wouldn't say that because I've never been to ministry. This is another thing that people sometimes in church say, not legacy because y'all are all precious. This is other people. How hard could it be? I mean, he only works one day a week. Well, two, if you count Wednesday. And he ain't going to work. He's making his wife work. There you go. I said, yeah, and then Sunday, his son's going to work. There you go. <laughs> I said last night in my cell, uh, we're doing the bait of Satan, and the, and the John Bevere teaching last night was being a spiritual vagabond. And you get up and you leave a church just because you get offended. And how once you leave one church, it's easier just to keep bouncing around. Once you leave, it's just easy. And I said, you know what I think would be great? And I want to just modify a little bit what I said last night. Last night I said, I think it'd be great for everybody to take their turn being the pastor one Sunday. But I want to change that and say, I think it'd be great to take their turn being the pastor one week. Because, let me tell you, there are some weeks that when I'm not speaking or Clayton's not speaking, that, okay, he's got to come up. And he, when he had men's meeting on Tuesday night, they got to come up with men's meeting Tuesday night. You got to come up with what he's going to preach on Wednesday night. He's got to preach, come up with what he's going to preach on Sunday. Those are the weeks that three marriages about ready to fall apart, you know? And so we got to have, we got to have marriage counseling of three couples that week, you know? And, um, and then somebody's kid, 
you know, getting ready to get kicked out of school. Okay, we got to come in. We got to talk to them. Uh, two people end up going to the hospital that week. Okay. But even if you just get through the week, and let's say you had a great week, and then he gets to church on Sunday. This is what I said to the girls last night. Think about this, that he's got to come in here. He gets here about 7.30 in the morning, and he goes in there, and he, and he, and he studies, and he, pray, and he begins to go over his notes again and pray and say, Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Let it not be my words, but your words. Okay, and he takes that very seriously. Then he's got to make sure he comes out here and that he's going to be friendly to everybody because you can't not be friendly to people because, you know, they'll get their panties in a wad if you do that. So you got to make sure. And, of course, I do help him out on that, you know, because he's not always the best at that, but he's gotten a lot better. Okay. And so anyway, so you got to do that. Then you got to get up here and you got to make sure that during worship that your mind's not on what you're getting ready to preach. Because if you're not worshiping, none of y'all will worship. Have you ever noticed that? That if pastor isn't lifting his hands, not many people are lifting their hands. If pastor lifts his hands, pastor jumps. Oh yeah. The whole place is going to start jumping in. It's all based on what he does. Okay. So you got to make sure that you're in key with what Laura's doing, what's going on over there. you got to make sure that you're, you're worshiping. Then you got to get up here, and as you're, like, trying to greet the people, and somebody has a prophetic word, then you got to decide, is that really, is that a prophetic word for now? Is that for later? Is that even not even for today? Is that just something that they had pizza last night, and they think it's a prophetic word? And so you got to be able to do all that. Then you got to be able to preach the word. you got to make sure you're looking at the clock so you don't go too far over time. you got to make sure that when you have the altar call, it is really anointed, and that it's not just you. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought of what in one day, in a two-hour span of time, a pastor has to do? I think that it would be good because as a leader, you may, and I don't think, I don't think this is happening, but you may even look at your cell leader and go, you know, that wasn't that great of a message. What was she thinking? Did she not prepare? You don't know what her week looked like. You don't know what happened to her. The enemy always loves to get pastors and their wives in a fight on a Sunday morning. So you know what? We just don't talk. I don't even get out of the bed until 645. I'm in the shower and he's in the kitchen. And then he leaves and I'm just like, bye, see you there. I honestly was like, okay, you know what? We're not even go. But when you have little kids, it's hard to not, you know, talk because you're trying to get them all the kids ready. We used to, like, fight, especially in our first church, Greentown Church of the Nazarene. The church was here, and you took six steps over, and you were, I mean, you were at the parsonage, and you took six steps over, and you are at the church, okay? That's how close it was, okay? So, you know, you're, like, trying to get Clayton to behave himself and not kill Tyler as you're getting them ready. Oh, no, Tyler wasn't even there. Okay, so anyway, and then you're trying to get there, and, and that's, of course, somewhere between the six steps, you go from, uh, to, well, bless you. Hey, how are y'all? God is good. You know, you're like, I'm going to kill him when I get him home. So, all right. So you, is, some of you have had fights. I know because I can see you. you'll come into prayer time and you're just like, something's not quite right between them. Okay. He's sitting over there and she's over here. Okay. So I don't ask any questions. I've been there, done that. Okay. So I say all that to say, <laughs> That God is working on us. Many of our friends have told us that we would be great in ministry. And they find that the true spiritual success of their ministries depends on different criteria than their friends or their textbooks ever told them. What do you do then? You either give up or you desperately call on God. Okay? Hopefully you do number two. But a lot of, let's just put it this way. Of our, in, our, in our wedding, we had seven seven or eight guys that stood with you and they were all preachers. And how many of are still in the ministry? Two. Because it got hard and they gave up or they lost their marriages because it got hard. Okay. The vision test also ensures that the glory for success goes to God. All right. The usage test, I'm going to have to go really super fast because I'm running over time here. The usage test is that, um, we cannot find the need, demand, opportunity, invitation to get our ministry used. We know what that, that's like. God, and number, point number one, God must desire to humble the leader. We're proud and self-sufficient. God's going to humble us. Um, the usage test also gives God an opportunity to purify the motives of the leader. And point three, he must also deepen the message of the leader. You know, we can live on, especially, uh, this doesn't happen too much for pastors, but if you're an evangelist and you're traveling around and you get about five good sermons and people just think you are it. But you know what? You got to get a fresh word. 
And sometimes God has to put you through a test where, you know, you're put on the shelf. At the top of that page, it says, some people call this the put on the shelf test. God's going to put you on the shelf. And we know one guy, I won't mention his name right now, that is a very, very gifted evangelist. And he's on the shelf right now. Because you know what? His character couldn't live up to his gifting. And he's humbled himself. And he's, and he's come under uh, restoration of other pastors. And he seems to have a good spirit about it. But um, you know what? God, God knows what has to happen in our lives. His will is that we make it to heaven, not that we get on TBN. Okay? We've got to remember that. All right, the test of promotion is when a leader finds himself not moving forward in the ministry as he expects he should. He's in the test of promotion. A leader is tempted to become angry or bitter at the lack of enlargement, preference, advancement, or influence at his evidence that is evidence in his life and evident in his life and ministry. Okay, you know we're like, okay, this person is really gifted. Why isn't why isn't this happening? You know, I kind of feel like sometimes we're we're in that test because I'm like. This is what I think about him. I think, man, he preaches as good as anybody on television. So, like, why does he pastor a church of 250 people? But you know what? That's in God's hands. That's in God's hands. That's not in our hands. You can't make it happen. And when you try to make it happen, God's going, oh, I hate that. Because now you're going to have to go around that mountain like three more times. Because you're not sitting and you're not being patient. And you're complaining. And you don't like the time test. And so now you're going to have to take all that over again. And so all those things are in God's hands. Jack Hayford, we read a lot of his books. And he had said one time, you know, when he was a young pastor, he'd say, man, if I could just have a church of 100. He said, then you get a church of 100. And you're like, okay, well, if I could just get a church of 200. Then you get 200. And you're like, well, 400. Then you get 400. And you're like, 800. Man, if I get 800, I'm going to feel really good about myself. This is a lesson we all need to learn. Whether your cell has three people in it or you're packing out the joint, God is in charge of who he promotes. He puts down one and sets up another. It's God, God who does it. And we've just got to stay out of the, out of the, out of the way. Um, it says here in this Institute of Basic Youth Con, uh, Conflicts, has pointed out the measure of true spiritual maturity is the length of time a person can wait between achieving a ministry and being recognized for it. Our joke at around our house is, you know, you ever meet somebody and they, they have a prophetic word and it comes to pass and it's like all of a sudden they want to get a van with a, their name on the side of it and start traveling. You know, that's, we're like, oh, goodness, oh, here, they're going to want a van now. That's kind of our joke. And, you know, some people are like that. God gives them a measure of success and they just think, ooh, 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 ooh. I, need, I need to be speaking somewhere. Get up. Do you know how long Joyce Meyer, first of all, how many of you even knew who Joyce Meyer was 15 years ago? I remember the very first time I saw Joyce Meyer on TV. We were living in Spartanburg. This is probably 1996. I turned on the TV and I'm thinking, this is before she had her facelift. I was thinking, wow, who is that woman who really needs a facelift, who has that really deep voice? And I thought what she said was good, but y'all, that was 15 years ago. So that means she was 50 years old the first time I ever even knew who she was. And the Lord gave her the word that she was going to go all over the world when she was 34 years old making her bed that day. You've all heard that story. Y'all, it's been over 30 years that it's taken Joyce Meyer to become who she is now. Now, obviously, she's world-renowned. But are we willing to let God do it in his time. So all of these tests are things that God's going to do. Now, you say, oh, that's, that's a lot of tests. Is it all going to come to me? Well, you know what? Not at all at one time. And a lot of those tests are very similar. <laughs> Hopefully some of them I won't ever have to take again. I'm hoping I got it the first time. But honestly, you know, the one that's hardest for me is really, is, it's not the waiting on God, but it's the keeping my mouth shut what I'm, while I'm waiting on God. Not complaining. So I think, Pastor, I'm going to have you come and close how you'd like to close. But um, let's, just, let's just keep these tests before us. And, and when you start to get frustrated, y'all, pull those tests out. Before you even call the first person and ask for prayer, pull those tests out and say, Lord, which one am I going through? What do I need to do? And what is the purpose of this? There have been days I felt like I had all those tests <laughs> thrown at me at once, though. But that probably wasn't the case. All right.
That was excellent. Thank you. Hey, let's stand, shall we? I want to pass every test. Got to pass the tests. Amen. Well, Lord, we've said it before. We'll say it again. Our life is in your hands. You are the designer. The word says the author, the finisher of, the, of our faith. You are the one that orders our steps. I honestly believe there's nothing that befalls me that has snagged you or somehow caught you by surprise. But even if it's thrown at me by a devil, you can cause that moment to work in me a, a greater work of glory. And uh, so tonight, as we've listened, at least these last two weeks, about testing the kingdom, Lord, I pray that we would be tenacious about being those that would pass the tests. Lord, uh, I just pray right now that you would give us a, that a resiliency and what we need in order to prevail. You called us to be prevailers, overcomers, triumphant. And uh, Lord, that's the spirit you put inside of us. So there's not a quitter in the bunch here. And Lord, I pray right now that uh, help us learn now what we need to learn. Uh, Lord, we want to glean off the voices of authority. Not, not, not the voice of pain, but Lord, the voices of authority. But Lord, we're going to hear one way or the other. So give us ears to hear words that are coming our direction so that we might prevail even in the day of adversity. Lord, I thank you for each one that's here tonight. I believe you have great things in store for them. I believe there is more promise per square inch in this room tonight than perhaps anywhere else in, in the Tri-County region. So Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you, keep our hope in you, and realize that you're bringing us to a greater day. The glory of the latter house is greater than the former. How many of you believe today that these days and the ones that are ahead are going to be greater than the ones you've lived? Your greatest days are not behind you. Come on, you need to hear that, especially those of us that are getting older. Our greatest days aren't behind us. The greatest days are yet ahead of us. God always eclipses himself. He always does something greater. We're not going back to the book of Acts. We're eclipsing the book of Acts. That's just the starting line. So Lord, help us remember that this day, that our greatest days are just around the corner. Thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you. Love you.